This podcast is brought to you by BankInfoSecurity.com. BankInfoSecurity.com is your source for the news and views shaping security and risk management within the finance space. What's the state of application security in 2011? Hi, this is Tom Field, Editorial Director with Information Security Media Group. I'm talking today with Peter Gutman, a researcher in the Department of Computer Science at the University of Auckland in New Zealand. Peter, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. If you could please, maybe you could tell us a bit about yourself and your current work. Okay, so I'm, I'm affiliated with the university. So what I do is actually a mixture of industry and academia, um, which is kind of interesting. You know, it's not just pure research. The problem with pure research is that you get the, well, the old joke goes, you know, things like a human perfectly spherical elephant of negligible mass and volume. Um, you know, you're looking at pure research and you often don't realize whether or not it's applicable in the real world. So um, I have a reasonable amount of time to look at research. Theoretical stuff is interesting, but also a lot of contact with industry and I do a lot of industry work, which helps me try and figure out whether the research I'm doing is actually useful or not. So my research interests are um, principally usable security and effective, effective security engineering. So in terms of usable security, um, we've been very good at building security products that are maybe theoretically extremely secure, but in practice almost impossible to use. And there's been a lot of work done in the last five to ten years where people have actually studied the usability of some of these products and found that although, say, the encryption is perfectly sound, um, it is so complicated and so hard to use and so hard to understand that most people can't apply it correctly. And so the end result is the product used in an insecure manner, even though you've got a very secure product. Um, because of that, I also had a strong interest in cognitive psychology, how the human mind works, how humans interact with technology, and how humans, in some cases, completely fail to understand technology. So um, that's, that's pretty much my background. Um, and with, with the industry work, so I go out in the industry, I see what people are doing, I see what people are doing wrong, and then you know, go, go back to the academic side and think about how that can be resolved and how, how the applications can be made better to make them more usable by humans. Well, that's a good introduction to my first question for you, which is about application security. What is wrong with application security today? In other words, what do you see as some of today's biggest issues? I think the biggest threat, you know, the ones that get all the publicity are the ever-popular buffer overflow, um, which is still, I think, the number one um, application security threat at the moment. Um, Mind you, it's, it's almost, I think it's, it may be being beaten to first place by things like uh, SQL injection and related threats. Those are very common threats, and they're probably, unfortunately, going to be around, around with us more or less forever. But I think you need to step back a bit and, and sort of look at the larger uh, picture, which is the fact that the tools we're using at the moment make it very hard to, in, in many cases, to write secure programs. You know, the intent of the programmer is, I want to write a program that does this, and they don't, you know, if the programmer's writing a program, they're not thinking, I want to write a buffer overflow. I want to write something that's subject to SQL injection. They want to have certain functionality there. And the tools simply don't help them deal with this. So it is very easy to write something that results in a buffer overflow. The compiler looks at this code and it can tell the buffer is this size and you're calling this function or you're reading this many bytes of data into it. It's going to overflow to that buffer. But it doesn't do anything about it. So I think that's, that's the problem, is that the tools to translate the programmer's intent into actual code are missing to some degree. Now, do you see this particular issue change at all over geographic regions, or does it tend to be pretty consistent worldwide? It's pretty consistent 
different worldwide. I mean, everyone uses the same tools. Everyone makes the same mistakes. Um, so it, it happens pretty much everywhere. Now, there are some companies uh, that have gone to some lengths to educate their programmers. The prime example would be Microsoft, um, where they've said, you know, we're going to train all our programmers, warn them about certain things, warn them about certain practices, and they've actually changed their own um, company internal tools to warn about certain practices, practices, certain types of code that are dangerous, um, code sequences, things like that. So it's more something that some companies are addressing and most companies aren't, rather than something that changes over different geographic areas. Now, how about regulatory trends? As you look around the various regions, what trends do you see regarding application security, if you see the regulatory bodies approaching the topic at all? I don't think there's much regulation at all. You've got things like, you know, PCI DSS um, and, related to, and related standards, but they tend to be more business rules. You know, you have to process data in a certain way. You have to use encryption. You have to have um, isolated lands and that sort of thing. It, it's a very high-level thing, and which is not a bad approach in general because once you start getting down into the nuts and bolts and saying you have to use this coding style and you have to use these coding tools, it more or less becomes unworkable. Um, the problem with that is that, um, you know, saying something like you must use secure software. How do you get secure software? How do you define secure software? It's actually very hard to regulate. So it is more something that individual companies can do rather than there being any regulation around it. As you say, you have a great opportunity to go out into the, the industry and, and work in application security and then see what doesn't work and come back to academia to, to come up with new approaches. What are some of the best practices that companies ought to be following now to ensure better application security? Well, I think one of the, if you want an overall lifecycle management system, um, one of the best ones I've run into without making it sound like I'm doing a sales pitch for Microsoft um, is Microsoft SQL, the, the security development lifecycle. And again, that's, that's, that's kind of interesting because it, it wasn't, a lot of these things are academic research projects. So, you know, someone thinks this might be a good idea and we'll, we'll research and publish a paper on it and I hope that people adopt it. What Microsoft did is they looked at um, what people were actually doing and the mistakes that people were making and built it from real-world experience. And, you know, if you've actually followed the evolution of the SDL over time, they've gone back and corrected it. So they've, they've tried something in their software development. They've realized this is a problem. This doesn't work. We can build a tool to help us with it. And, and then corrected it and iteratively changed it over time. And it's still changing and still being updated. And then they've made a lot of the tools they've developed in-house available externally. So there is a fair bit of tool support for that. Um, another thing that is that I've found incredibly useful is source code, code analysis tools. So there's a whole bunch of those. Um, the three that sort of spring to mind. Again, I'm not sort of recommending any of these, but the, the three that I've got experience with um, are Coverity, Fortify, and Clockwork. Um, there's also a relatively new one um, from Australia called Goanna, which has its primary advantage is that it's, it's one tenth the price of all the other ones. And even beyond that, there's a free one. Um, there's something that Apple's been working on for a while, um, which, which is a compiler, and that's got a tool with it called the Clang Static Analyzer. And that does more or less the same thing as the expensive commercial tools. The expensive commercial tools obviously are a lot more thorough and have, have a lot more development effort put into them, mainly because there's a huge amount of money involved, and they can afford to throw money and throw developers at it. Um, but what all of these things do is they go through your code, and they look at it and say, you know, it seems that the intent of what you've wanted to do here is X. What the code you've actually written is doing Y. Are you sure you wanted to do that? 
And that's something that's, that's incredibly useful to have. Because humans, if you've got, let's say, an existing code base of a million lines of code or five million lines of code, if I give that to you and say, you may be a bug in here, find it, there's no way you're ever going to put that out in five million lines of code. What these tools do is this, this really nasty work that, that humans shouldn't be doing anyway, which is mechanically going through all this code and scanning it and analyzing it. Um, and when you do run this on your code, it's absolutely amazing the things you find, um, you know, the amount of bugs you find in there. And even if the code's been used for five to ten years, you run these tools on there and, and you look at some of these bugs and you think, how could this code ever have worked given that there are serious bugs like this in there? And so all these tools, um, originally they're all targeted at, at the lower level languages like C and C++, which is the ones that tend to be more vulnerable to, um, to these sorts of problems. And also, to some extent, the ones that, that the majority of applications seem to be running. There are ones that do, you know, Java and Python and PHP and ASP.NET and so on and so forth. Um, but for one thing, they, they're generally less vulnerable to the simpler problems like buffer overflows. The other problem is, ironically, is that because C is so simple, it makes it more vulnerable. It also makes it much, much easier to analyze. The high-level languages like Python and, and PHP and so on are much, much harder to analyze because they're so powerful and so high-level. Um, that makes them a lot more complicated. Um, there are some other things that, that tool support will be useful for. So these tools, all of these tools actually originally came out of university research projects. So someone, you know, did a, did a PhD thesis on it and then decided this could actually be useful, so I'll go out and commercialize it. There are some other tools that would be incredibly useful, which unfortunately simply don't exist. For example, getting back to the, say, five million lines of code, um, only a small subset of that is actually potentially going to be something that has a security problem. And if you could find a tool that picks out the, let's say, a couple of thousand lines of code in there that may be vulnerable, then instead of having to analyze five million lines of code, you can look at a thousand lines of code, which would be incredibly useful. So one of the things that might be useful there is something called is paint analysis. So you can say, if you're reading a file, well, if it's a program's configuration file, then that's not really a security vulnerability. And there could be this huge amount of code to handle program configuration that you never need to look at. On the other hand, if it's reading a file that's, say, a spreadsheet or a Word document that an attacker could have fed you, that's going to be vulnerable code, so you need to look at that. And I don't know of any tools at the moment that will allow you to do that, that will, for example, allow you to say, this is a network socket, anything coming in over this is regarded as painted. Show me all the code that data from this network socket touches, so you can then analyze the code paths and see and make sure they're secure, and pick a small number of code paths out of the six million lines of code, and only have to analyze those to localize the amount of work you do. And I'm not aware of any tool that will actually allow you to do something like that. And again, that's something that's perfectly uh, amenable to an automated tool. I mean, optimizing compilers already do data flow analysis. They analyze the, the flows of data through the code for optimization purposes. So why can't a compiler then also say, okay, this is where the data is going through the code, this data is painted, so look at these bits of code and try and find out whether there's a problem there or verify that the code is actually secure. So that would be my wish list. Okay, well, Peter, to wrap this up, I'd like to get some advice from you. You said earlier that really it's up to organizations themselves to improve application security. If you could target some advice at these organizations, what would you tell them? The first thing I would say is um, grab one of these static source code analysis tools, um, by either the Tang Analyzer, which is free, or you just you know, let's say a sample for uh, an evaluation sample of one of the commercial ones, and run it on your code to see just how much there is in there that you probably don't know about. 
Um, and the next thing is that if you really are serious about this kind of security stuff, to adopt some sort of um, development lifecycle. And, and again, you know, I'm using the Microsoft one because there are books about this. There, there are free white papers you can download. There are tools you can download that are all free. So this is, is the easiest one to get into, um, even if you're not a Windows shop. Um, it's still relatively easy to get into because all the materials, all the tools, all the documentation is available for free. Um, but the primary one is would be to go out and get tool support um, and simply run that over your code to see, to let you see, um, you know, what the problems are, and at least get you an insight into how bad it is or possibly how bad it isn't. Um, one of the problems you will run into if you're running it over at a very large established code space is you're going to get thousands and thousands of warnings. And that can become a bit of a problem. Um, you know, even if you cut it down from, say, a million lines of code to a thousand warnings or a thousand errors, um, it's, that's still an awfully large task to actually sort that out. And the ways company, companies deal with that, I guess it's up to the company. You know, some companies will scan it and say the first thousand errors or warnings um, will ignore, or say that this is the baseline, and we'll only, we'll only deal with errors after that, simply because it is such a huge amount of work the first time you run it on your code. So it is something you have to commit to over a long time. You can't say, I'll run this once and we'll get somebody to look at it for a day or two and declare ourselves secure. Um, you know, the reason why Microsoft calls it a development life cycle is that it is a life cycle problem. It's not just something you can wave a magic wand at and, and make all your problems go away. Very good, Peter. I appreciate your time and your insight today. Thank you so much for speaking with me. Okay, thanks a lot. We've been talking about application security. We've been talking with Peter Gutman, researcher in the Department of Computer Science at the University of Auckland. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tom Field. Thank you very much. This podcast has been brought to you by BankInfoSecurity.com. For more interviews, breaking news, research, and educational webinars, please visit www.BankInfoSecurity.com.